Hey, everybody, welcome to episode number 112 of Tone the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. It is a playoff episode of Pitching Talk with David Cohn, with James Smythe, with myself, Justin Shackle. Our terrific producer, Dan Work, is with us as well for the ride here. The Texas Rangers are heading to the World Series after beating the Astros in Game 7 of the ALCS Monday night. And tonight we have a Game 7 of the NLCS between the D-backs and the Phillies. Guys, you talk about things we did not see coming. Uh, Both series a week ago started with a team up 2-0 and it feeling pretty lopsided to boot. Now we end up getting a pair of Game 7s on the way to the World Series. How are we doing today, fellas? We're doing great. Nothing like a Game 7. There really is not. In fact, Philadelphia, in their franchise history, this will be the first Game 7 they've ever seen. That's a pretty long franchise, too. I mean, pretty long history there. You think about the... The Phillies, and then all the way back to the turn of the century, really back to the Philadelphia A's, really. You know, but, but if you look at the Philadelphia Phillies, this will be the first time they'll be they'll 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 be a, a game seven in Philly, and you can imagine what those tickets are going for. That's going to be a wild house. <laughs> so the yeah, the Phillies have been playing since 1883, and so it takes 141 seasons of Phillies baseball to get to a game seven. Said so there's nothing like game seven. How about two game sevens? We had. One last night, one tonight. This is the fourth time that we've had both the ALCS and the NLCS go the full seven games, 2003, 2004, 2020. And this year, after, you know, a little lackluster start to the postseason, you know, the wild cards, you had all sweeps. The DS uh, had some shorter than expected series. And you mentioned the slower start to this series where, you know, you thought it might be a, a quick uh, you know, I, I thought that the, the Phillies were going to be celebrating in the pool. I said that last week and the Diamondbacks have really uh, charged back and to get all the way to a game seven, a team that won 84 games and gave up more runs than they scored is one win from the World Series. Yeah, I'm with you. I did not think that the NLCS would be going back to Philadelphia, but here we are. We're, we're going to be looking at game seven. Also take a look back at what's transpired uh, really, in game six, that, that has Arizona in this position, where's the momentum at? I think that's the big question. We'll, we'll take a look at what the Rangers were able to do in game seven, really game six as well. The road team coming through in a, in a wacky, unconventional uh, ALCS. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on Max Scherzer, uh, where the Astros pitching went wrong. And also, we're bringing back this debate of, of kind of what constitutes a dynasty. I know we did this last year, but uh, Twitter was alive last night from a tweet that I sent out on what constitutes the phrase dynasty. I think David obviously is uh, certainly qualified to touch on that, considering he was in my book, the last baseball dynasty that we've seen in Major League Baseball. But let's begin with the opener, guys. Uh, this postseason and nearly every postseason, it's been a running theme here. And David, you start us off. Where, where are the home runs at right now? Let's take a look at the home run counter, David. Well, I mean, it is. I mean, it's a debate every year. You know, Yankee fans have this a debate, too, in terms of two one dimensional with two relying on the home run in postseason. You need to play small ball. We hear we hear people pound the table every year about that. And certainly, you know, hey, look, I get it playing for one run or, you know, an occasional bunt here or there, or, you know, the, the proverbial small balls is, is, is nice to have it. Any way you can score runs is good. But the bottom line is, is that when you look at, especially not only this postseason, but the Phillies and Diamondbacks, when the Diamondbacks keep the Phillies in the ballpark, that's their formula for winning. That's what they did. That's how they, that's how they pushed to a game seven by keeping Philly in the ballpark. And so far this postseason, 2023, 
teams are just four and 18, four and 18 when they do not homer in a game. And secondarily, teams are 0 and 14 in this postseason, zero and 14 when they don't hit a home run and their opponent does hit a home run. So the home run differential means a big deal more than ever in this postseason. Diamondback started hitting home runs and stopped giving up home runs. That's the key. When you're playing Philadelphia, they hit nothing but home runs. They're the have a lineup that matches. So yeah, the small ball matters. Yeah, any way you can score a run matters. But bottom line is the you know, long ball, long ball rules always does. Defensively, run prevention, a big, big deal, keeping it in the ballpark, secondarily hitting them. It it, it is really the story of the, of this postseason. Absolutely. And during the regular season, uh, about 40% of runs are scored on homers. Uh, this postseason, more than half. It's up to 51% of runs scoring on the long ball so far this October. And, you know, usually the teams that get this far are home run reliant. And, you know, we've had these, you know, these battles uh, over the years before. The You know, Joe Sheehan, the, the writer who's, who's done a lot of this research, ball go far, team go far is, is the rallying cry. Well, yes, the, the Astros, the Rangers, the Phillies, big offenses. But Arizona was a bit of an outlier in the postseason field in that they had the sixth lowest rate of their run scoring via the home run. And then all of a sudden, this postseason, they're scoring half their runs on home runs. And you saw that in game six where, boom, Fam and Guriel, back-to-back, quick punch. You're not really going to be stringing single after single after single after single against an elite pitcher like Zach Wheeler or Aaron Nola. But – you know, a bloop and a blast or, or back-to-back solos, that can carry. And Texas, you, you know, you know, a lot of the momentum had been swinging back and forth in, in that ALCS. And then, boom, Corey Seager, first inning, quick strike, solo bomb. Garcia hits a couple more. Nathaniel Lowe hits another one. So the Rangers riding the long ball into the World Series. It's never been more true than now, and I would argue, too, you have to be a good on-base team as well. Uh, The Rangers, top 10 in home runs and on-base in the regular season, same for the Phillies. That's the difference. It's not just all slug. It's not just all feast or famine for the Phillies with their home runs, although it's looking like that's the case, especially after looking at what happened in Game 6 on Monday. For the In the totality, though, uh, the Phillies are are a pretty good on-base team. Again, top 10 in home runs. And on base, I think that says something as well. More tone of the slab is coming up, people. I need to tell you about a special offer from DraftKings because the NFL season is officially here. We've partnered with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official partner of the National Football League, to bring all new customers an exciting way to join in on the action right now. New customers, download the DraftKings app, use the promo code SLAB, S-L-A-B, fetches five bucks, and boom, $200 in bonus bets hit your account instantly. That's right, new customers who bet only $5 will get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Staying on the action, use your $200 in bonus bets on DraftKings parlays, combine multiple bets together for a shot at an even bigger payout. If sports betting is not yet available in your state, don't worry. You can still get another fun with DraftKings Daily Fantasy, where they offer cash prize contests for nearly every sport. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. New customers use the promo code SLAB. Again, S-L-A-B. Betches five bucks on any wager and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's promo code SLAB only at DraftKings Sportsbook. All right, we'll, we'll talk about the NLCS 
in a few moments. Let's begin with the American League Championship Series. Texas wins it. The road team wins each game in this series. I'll tell you what, guys. I was pretty surprised that the Rangers were able to get up off the mat after losing game five in the way they did. But after that game, they end up scoring 20 combined runs in game six and seven. Does that say more about this Texas offense or the fall of this Astros pitching staff? It's always a combination of both, right? I mean, the, the, you could probably peel back the layers and, and and come up with reasons why on both sides of this issue. But to me, it really does come down to the Texas Rangers had the best offensive club in the American League all year long. They were a juggernaut offensively, and their offense showed up when they needed it most. So I, I tend to give credit, you know, to to the uh, the performers and not the ones who didn't perform. I give credit to the best offense in the American League showed up. And uh, to me, that that overrules then the deficiencies of, of the Houston pitching staff. Although, you know, when you get a starter knocked out in the first inning, that is the ultimate uh, kind of slap in the face. And Christian Vasquez has to hand the ball to to his manager in the first inning, really set them up for, for a bad night all the way around. I, I was very surprised. Maybe it's because of the history of the Astros and how they always seem to pull out these games in these series. But when Altuve hits the home run, and it's a real gut punch kind of game for the Rangers. Credit to them to go marching back into Houston and to, yeah, I mean, they really laid the smack down. I mean, they, it was, they didn't just squeak out a couple of one nothing games. They really brought the lumber. And this was, and maybe we should have been giving this offense more credit, you know, in, in a two game span because Coney, as, as you mentioned, this was one of the best offenses in the game along with the Braves. They were top three in runs, home runs, all three slash categories batting average on base slugging percentage and their stars showed up you know Marcus Simeon was still struggling a bit but he got a couple hits uh, in Houston and then Corey Seager big home home run Adolis Garcia what else is there to say about him he's got an immense bat but he's also got a little bit of that that stepping up to the moment you know that that's loving the spotlight and uh, I'm sure he really relished uh, hitting some big home runs in game six and seven after the the fracas in game five. Yeah, definitely give the Rangers offense a bit more credit here. Houston's pitching does not get a pass. So it is a little bit of both, as Coney was saying. I'm pretty surprised that Framber Valdez and Christian Javier, they slipped up as they did. It was still surprising. Uh, despite them, I guess, not looking like they have in the past. But again, the Rangers, uh, um, they adjusted to Javier's fastball early on. Big knockout blow there. I think the microcosm of the Rangers uh, adjusting, and I know he was out of this world, so you're just highlighting a guy like Adolis Garcia here. Obviously, it was the rest of this Rangers offense as well, but if you take a look at what happened in the third inning there uh, against Hunter Brown, right? He's painting the corners on the outside with the fastball in between a couple of off-speed pitches, but he's dotting the outside edge with heaters against Garcia, and Garcia took two of them. Then what's he do? He just, just pokes it the other way into right field. That's the type of stuff that we're talking about when we credit the Rangers offense. Uh, obviously, Garcia did it on an otherworldly level here, but those small things that you look out for, those are the reasons why uh, the Rangers are on top here and this offense just took it to a higher level, in my opinion. Yeah, thanks for cleaning me up there. Uh, you know, it's uh, Christian Javier instead of Christian Vasquez there. Yes, but uh, nonetheless, I mean, yeah, when you get when you're a starting pitcher, even though it's a it's a game seven, you get knocked out in the first inning. Wow, that is just the ultimate blow. You know, uh, maybe Dusty Baker's final game as a manager as well. 
there's you know reports uh, from the athletics saying that he's already made his decision or that he's already told his insiders that he may step away from managing. So, I mean, wow, your last game you manage, you got to go out and get your starter in the first inning. That that doesn't set up set up well for your final game potentially, but what a great career if indeed this is Dusty Baker's final game as a manager. Next stop, Cooperstown, Hall of Fame. Yeah, 100%. I'm waiting to hear Dusty say it himself, but those are the reports, and I think that brings the Astros to a kind of a crossroads this offseason. If this was his last game, and it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback, but I credit John Smoltz because on the broadcast he was saying it in real time, talking about the fourth inning, Rangers score four runs there. When you think about where this game may have gotten away from the Astros, yes, your starter doesn't last past the first inning, but overall, when you're managing this game, where do you feel like it got away from Houston? Well, there's no doubt you, you point to, you know, allowing Ty France to face eight hitters there. And, and then next thing you know, four runs are on the board and the game kind of got away from you right there. So in an elimination game, I think that's probably the one place a lot of people are looking at. And we saw it on social media. If you're following along you know, on the game is that people are, how can you allow that to, to go on? You have to be on the inside and understand the dynamics of who you have available in that bullpen and who's ready and who's not. But yes, sometimes that game can get away in a hurry Eight batters for Ty France. I think I think that's the way it was, James. He faced eight batters. By the time he went and got him, the game had kind of gotten away. I think there's four four more runs on the board. It was eight batters, and six of them reached. Four came home, and the game goes from four two, where you know you had the Bregman home run. Maybe the Astros can get back in this game. There's a lot of baseball left to be played, and then but eight two. I don't care how good you are. That's probably good night in in the game seven there, but. You know, a lot of times people talk about urgency all year long, and I think a lot of that is overdone. Um, but when you're talking about a game seven and you have your higher leverage guys ready to go, you need to be ready to go to them in the third inning or fourth inning if you have to, especially when you get, a, you know, a stay of execution from a, from the, when you get the call from the governor when, oh, Brian Abreu is available for game seven. So you could have had a couple innings from Presley. You could have had a couple innings from Bray. You could have had a couple of innings from Hector Neris. And by the time Neris gets into the game in the fourth inning, it's already eight to two and that ship sailed. So I think there was a little bit of a misstep there by letting the game get away with first Brown gives up the home run to Garcia, no harm, no foul one run. But then with France letting things snowball there, I don't know if you want to go down with JP France uh, with the season riding on his shoulders, even though he did have, a good year. And then in that same, in the bottom half of that same inning, a little bit of that, that question of urgency too, because it's eight, two, but then the, the Astros get singles from Chad McCormick and Chaz McCormick and Jeremy Pena. And it's first and second one out. You could get back in this game with one big swing, Martin Maldonado, one of the least productive hitters in baseball coming up. And it's been a, it's been a, a thing that Astros fans have been banging the drum about for a long time this year, where, why isn't Yiner Diaz getting more playing time over Maldonado? That was a spot where you really should have pinch hit Diaz to try and take one big swing at the Crawford boxes and get this to an eight to five game. And that was another thing where, okay, well, you do end up going to Diaz later on, but by then it's already 10 to two. You're not inserting him into the spot where he can do the most damage. Uh, I, I thought the first inning was really telling, obviously looking back on it, but the first inning was kind of, kind of the game in a vacuum there i thought texas leaving guys on in that first inning yeah they struck first they knocked javier out of the game 
I said to myself, man, they're going to regret that at the time. And then you have Max Scherzer, where that was a huge storyline going into this game. Eighth time that he was pitching in a do or die game. And I'm just taking some notes as I'm watching the game. And I thought Houston scoring in the bottom of the first was an enormous counterpunch there. I said that they don't, I, I, I wrote this, I go, I don't care that they hit into a double play to end it. They damaged Scherzer to begin his night. I was dead wrong in that moment because that double play for Michael Brantley ended up being massive. They had Scherzer on the ropes in that moment, and Texas was able to get out of it against a good hitter in Michael Brantley. So uh, that's a, a moment where Houston squandered and it came back to bite them. Absolutely. Yeah, I could, could not agree more. It's just, yeah, it just, it's a nightmare scenario when you're up against it and things happen too quickly and the game gets away from you like that. And uh, there's multiple decisions that James you know, brought about that could have been talked about and should have been talked about in the dugout beforehand, but obviously uh, it was not to be. And, uh, you know, when you think about Max Scherzer, I think, boy, his stuff looked good to me when I watched him, you know, it, it, if you look at the quality of the stuff, it's there. His velocity was back mid nineties. He had a razor blade cutter at times against Bregman early in, in his first at bat. Looked really good, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, it, it, it feels like you know that's it. You know, when on one side Dusty Baker was not preemptive in his strike, he got you know uh, Bruce Bochy was the opposite. He was, and he got Scherzer out of that game before anything else could happen. So yeah, if you're looking at managerial styles. Somebody who's kind of been there in the postseason and and and, and managed his way through. I think you got to give the advantage to Bochi in this game seven. Now this may be me overthinking this when I ask it, but because you brought that up, David, uh, should Max Scherzer be used as a starting pitcher in the World Series, given what he's had to come back from the layoff, what we've seen in his two outings since coming back? Should should they be continuing to use him as a starter? I think they almost have to at this point. Part of it is his pedigree, and he's now going to be – this next start will be his third start after being out for over a month. So you, you would anticipate progression and progress, and that's what we saw. I, I saw progress between his first start and his second start, even though he got an early hook. Uh, he easily could have maybe gotten out of that inning and given them four or five innings in, of two-run ball you know, in, in this last start. So, yes, the answer is – yeah, it's, it's Max Scherzer. You're short in your rotation. You know, you had to use Jordan Montgomery in relief in game seven. So I'm not sure when he'll be available the next go round. So their 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 alignment in terms of starters is short as it is. So you need Scherzer, no matter what. You've got to give him another shot in the rotation, in my opinion. I think so, just because you, you're kind of lacking options. We know how great Evaldi and Montgomery have been in the postseason. You're going to need one or two more starters there as well. Now, you mentioned Montgomery terrific job in game seven you get some extra off days leading into the world series even though the series still wins seven games you still get a few days off so you could go evaldi in game one montgomery could start on four days rest and take the ball in game two after you know a couple innings of relief so i think he'd be okay and ready for a game two start which would line him up for game six you'd have evaldi one and five monty two and six what do you do in game three what do you do in game four now scherzer you know, Cody, you, you mentioned how you thought the stuff looked pretty much there. And even it wasn't literally the knockout blow because he got another batter out after that. But the Alvarez triple off the wall, that ball wasn't even a strike. That was just an unbelievable at bat and an unbelievable piece of hitting from one of the best in the game, Jordan Alvarez. So 
I, how much do you want to knock Scherzer on that? And also, if he does get a, a game three start, he would be on six days rest. So he'd get extra rest to build up more. And even though he'd be, um, you know, going on the road in, in a possible game three of the World Series, whether it's Philly or Arizona, both uh, tough places to pitch, I think you kind of have to at least give him the ball either in game three or game four uh, with an extra day of rest. Um, I don't know how much you really trust some of the other options. You do have Andrew Heaney, you have Dane Dunning. I think you'll either way in games three and four, you'd be patching it together in some sort of piggyback fashion. They do have guys that can go multiple innings. Yeah. They're, they're in a tough spot when it comes to identifying any options past Max Scherzer at that point there, you have no choice, but I guess to extend this leash. Uh, and you, you brought up a good point there. Jordan Alvarez was swinging at everything. So when you take a look at Scherzer's total line from, from Monday, not the prettiest, but I mean, that was an off-speed pitch well off the plate and Alvarez uh, poked it just under the Crawford boxes and left. So uh, yeah, uh, you're, you're probably going to be forced to give him a, a longer look here. And again, he is Max Scherzer gets the benefit of the doubt, but it's something that I'm watching here in this world series. Uh, bottom line is the stuff looking better the commands there people are talking about the velocity being there bottom line the results haven't been they haven't been where max scherzer expects them to be so something to keep an eye here with the rangers in the world series and and how they go about it um but let's talk about the astros because right after the end of the game the athletic reporter that dusty baker's stepping away you take a look at next season for houston alex bregman and jose altuve they're entering the final year of their respective deals that's been the constant right there throughout this entire window, Altuve and Bregman. I don't think they're going anywhere, but this is rep representative of, a, a, again, another chapter of the changing of the guard, so to speak, if it's just Dusty Baker not returning next year. Where, where are the Astros at after this? Are they at a crossroads? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, yeah, a little bit. They need to make decisions on, you know, what they do with Altuve in particular or Bregman. I mean, these are cornerstone athletes in their franchise history. They're still performing at a top level. So what do you do? You, you need to answer that at some point. Do you let them play it out next year and take it into the, into the all-star break or the trade deadline and make a decision then? But I don't know. I can't see Jose Altuve anywhere else. I mean, he, you know, Bregman as well. I mean, he's been a great Astro. So that is really going to be kind of a pick I guess, considering the budget that the Astros probably are going to have. That may be a pick them. They probably pick Otuve. You know, if you, if you can't sign both of them, you got to pick one. Jose Otuve is going in the Hall of Fame. He's already got a Hall of Fame career going right now. Uh, I think he finishes his career as an Astro, so we'll see how that goes. I, I The one part that really was disappointing, I think, if you're an Astros fan, was was Tucker. You know, the, the, his struggles, Kyle Tucker and right field was to me, maybe their best player probably could get some MVP votes. He's over the last couple of years watching him evolve. It's like, wow, that's what the Yankees need. A left-handed hitting all around ball player, good base runner, good defender and right field. 
it was hard to watch him struggle because he's much better than he showed. So I think that really kind of let the Astros down in terms of, you know, Altuve showed up, Bregman showed up, Abreu showed up. They had the top of their order was good, but the bottom of their order was really bottomed out, including what James said about Maldonado at the at the bottom of the order really hurt them. When you have Diaz on the bench ready as an option at any time to pinch hit. So, you know, Fisher was the guy. He was the guy that kind of, to me, was that was disappointing because he's so much, so much better of a ball player than he showed. Uh, but I still say they're poised good for the future because of guys like him and Pena at short. They've, they've got enough good young players. Obviously, with the Astros, it's going to be, uh, you know, the pitching side of things. You know, is the rotation going to be deep enough next year to to get them back to another shot? What do you get out of Brown, Javier, France, you know, someone like France? A good year. You got to build on that because Justin Verlander is going to be a question mark. You still have Valdez, but as far as the Astros, you know, as as a dominant team of the last several years. Yeah, they are at a crossroads because Dusty Baker has become one of the great uh, characters in this in this Astros story. And Altuve and Bregman, I, it's one of those things, like you said, Connie, you can't really imagine them playing anywhere else. But Houston had no qualms with letting some of their other established uh, 2017 uh, World Series stars going. We saw Correa go elsewhere. They, did, they didn't bring back Springer. I think the one guy they would really uh, bend over backwards to try to uh, bring back would be Altuve. Uh, he just seems like a guy who who would be a career Astro. And then they put his uh, a little 27 up on, up on the wall when it's all said and done. But look, the Astros, they're not going anywhere, you know, in the big picture, they're not going away, but it is a, this is a, a, a benchmark sort of day uh, in the history of the, of the franchise. Yeah, I'm with you. They're not going anywhere. They're still going to be a contender here. I'm going to be really intrigued to see what they do in free agency this offseason because they can ease up some of the questions that, that you do have with that pitching staff. Some of these younger guys that James just mentioned, they do have to take a step forward. They have to show that you know this wasn't exactly a step back this year in personal performances. So I'm really uh, obviously the onus is on them there, but they could also be alleviated a little bit if they bring in some outside help. I'm really intrigued to see what they could do in free agency. All right, let's go over to the National League here. NLCS Game Seven coming up tonight over in Philadelphia. The Diamondbacks I think surprised a lot of people here when they got to Aaron Nola early in game six what do you guys think that the d-backs figured out against aranola who had been sensational in the postseason up until that point yeah you know i think he had one bad inning is really what it came down to aranola he actually threw better after he gave up you know he had that one big inning uh where they they got him early and then um you know it, it to me it comes down to a big swing you know whether you know it's somebody that's going to hit the ball over the wall against a guy like an aranola and james james and i have talked about this for forever it seems like this debate of you know, how do you approach a pitcher like an Aranola? How do you get to him? Well, any way you can, you take it. If you can get one run, you get it. But the best way to get a guy like that is to get one of those hanging curveballs and bang it over the wall with somebody on base. So, you know, I think that's the, there's nothing really to figure out with Aranola. The one thing I'm worried about with Philly is because Atlanta won the division and got the bye, that now all of a sudden you're looking at Wheeler and Nola and the extra starts are going to have to accumulate now. And is this starting to wear them down? That that's what I would look at when you when you think about the the high stress starts they've already had uh, before they even get to the World Series. So uh, you know that's what I'm thinking about with Nola. This is now what his fourth postseason start already. 
that's a lot. That, that's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a heavy workload. Speaking from experience, when you pitch postseason games, every pitch matters. You're exhausted the next day. You almost need extra rest in between starts and there's no extra rest to be had. So you know, that that's the thing I worry about is just the accumulated workload, the high stress innings in postseason, and the fact that even though they were able to rest their starters in September and it's paid off for them so far, this is his fourth postseason start. I mean, that, that's what I worry about, the, the high stress, high leverage innings that, that you only get in postseason baseball that, that, that he's now going to have to face tonight. And, you know, you don't want to be too harsh on Nola because it was really just a nine-pitch sequence where all of a sudden it goes from nothing, nothing to three, nothing, home run, home run, walk, double, three, zip. So, and, and you want to get, I think, we, you know, Merrill Kelly deserves a lot of credit because if Nola just had that one three-run inning, and, you know, the Phillies break out the bats and they can tread water at 3-3 and, and then went on later. You say, oh, well, you know, Nola kept him in the game. Merrill Kelly made sure that stood up, and he was fantastic. Only five innings, one run, eight strikeouts, and there was a great little exchange that you could see between Kelly and Rob Tom and, uh, and Tori Lovello when he was getting pulled from the game. You know, he, he comes back to the dugout after the fifth and it's handshakes and Kelly's all confused. And after the game, you know, he said he just always wants to stay in the game. And Lavello pointed out that, yeah, he had just gone through their best guys, the top of the order, but it was Coney, you mentioned high stress pitches. It's different in the playoffs. So, and, and, and Lavello brings up that Kelly was at 48 pitches through two innings and he was at 65 pitches through three. So ordinarily you'd say, Oh, he's only at 90 pitches through five, not, every 90 pitch outing is not the same. And, and, you know, there was a lot of hand wringing about, you know, why is he pulling Kelly so soon? Well, then the bullpen, that top four for Arizona, they came in and shut the door four scoreless and they'd probably be leaning on them again in game seven. You had Brian Thompson. You had Brian Thompson ready to go. And he's been one of your, maybe your best reliever down the stretch run. So, you know, to me that, you know, I agree. That's James. That's well said. 90 pitches after five, that's a lot. That's a hard slog a little bit. I mean, you're working, you know, if you get 90 pitches after six or you're into the seventh inning with one out and 90 pitches, then your, your dispersion is, is much better, but you're right about the workload, the, the heavy workload early and, and the stress and 90 after five, that that's, uh, that's right there. When you have a guy like Ryan Thompson, one of your best relievers ready to go. Yeah. And, and that whole quartet, because you have Thompson, Saul Frank, Ginkle, Seawald. I mean, that quartet has really carried Arizona a lot further than any of us would have would have guessed. And they have a combined 1.69 ERA in the postseason. And uh, especially um, props to uh, Ginkle and Seawald setting up and closing because they have a combined 14 and a third shutout innings. Tell you what, this is why I might be a little bullish on the Diamondbacks tonight. Uh, they and the Rangers have answered the most questions about their bullpen this October. And I think they're going to continue to roll with that momentum, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's take a look at these game seven starters, fellas. The season is on the line with Ranger Suarez on the mound and Brandon fought for the D backs. Suarez are fought. Pick them guys. Who do you have? Well, you look, you got to go down and look at matchups. Suarez, the lefty fought the righty. How does that match up with individual lineups? 
But Suarez's history in postseason is, you know, even though you could say, well, sample size, beware. <clears throat> but he has been lights out, an under one ERA in his career postseason um, resume. So uh, home home field, Suarez, a lot of confidence. Well, you know, I, I got to go with Suarez here, the lefty, against the Diamondbacks who, you know, obviously, you know, their outfield is left-handed. Corbin Carroll's left-handed. Maybe Suarez matches up against him and some of their other left-handed batters in that lineup. It brings brings to the forefront somebody like a Christian Walker. If I'm looking at a circle circle guy on the lineup, if I'm Ranger Suarez, I'm circling Christian Walker and saying, I'm not letting him beat me in this particular lineup. So it'd be interesting to follow. Um, but, uh, you know, the edge to Suarez, in my, my opinion. Advantage Philly uh, to me as well. And game three ended up being a much better pitching duel than, uh, than a lot of us might have guessed. Fought five and two thirds shutout innings with nine Ks in game three. Suarez, five and a third shutout innings with seven strikeouts. Uh, but it's fought, you know, it's, it's amazing. You know, it all it takes is a couple of postseason games to, to swing the pendulum because fought had a 572 ERA in 19 games this year. And as fielding independent pitching, if you look under the hood, that was also above five. So, you know, he, he really struggled for, for a lot of the year. And then all of a sudden he has a 2-1-3 ERA in three postseason starts. That said, I'm going to ride with Ranger Suarez. We make so much, everyone's made so much of, of, of Wheeler and Nola, Wheeler and Nola, which is, you know, justified. They're maybe the best one-two punch in the game. But, but Suarez, no slouch. And believe it or not, his, his career ERA plus is 123 for his career. You know, 23% better than league average. And Coney, you mentioned the playoff. 0-6-4 ERA in three starts this year. And just for his career, going back to last year, eight games, six starts, 0.94 ERA. He has really gotten it done, whether in that swingman long relief role or as as a as another starter in the playoffs. And you know, game seven, we saw it last night, all hands on deck, broken record with that. But You'll have guys lined up ready to go, but I, I'm pretty confident that they could get four or five good innings out of Suarez before handing the ball off. And you know, it's a little bit of a question mark when you get to guys like Craig Kimbrell and and, and whatnot. But I think Jose Alvarado, you mentioned the lefties in Arizona's lineup there, Coney. Jose Alvarado should have a a lot to say on the outcome of Game Seven here. This is the beauty of it, and we've you know been given the top two in each team's rotation their flowers rightfully so gallon kelly wheeler nola game seven comes down uh at least to start with rangers Suarez and and brandon fought so so buckle up it should be a good one here uh off the heels of the astros losing game seven here uh there will not be a back-to-back champion in baseball and this could be me is my opinion it does feel like houston is Slowly moving further away from this Altuve Bregman era uh, being at its peak. And this is all trivial, um, but I was a little bit surprised. And I only went to Twitter and tweeted this out because they mentioned the word dynasty on the broadcast. And I, I tweeted it out last night. And I didn't think this was a, a dynasty, so to speak. And I was also surprised what kind of people perceive a dynasty in sports to be these days. So like to me, uh, a dynasty's accomplishments are are solely about sustained excellence that has led to an accumulation of championships in a short time period, a short window here. And you had fans defiantly saying that the Astros dominance 
of the American League, where they've been to seven straight ALCS, is dynastic? I say absolutely not. I know we touched on this topic last year when they won a championship, but what do you guys think here? Let's revisit. What what constitutes a dynasty in sports? Well, let me let me add, let me let me throw another one into the mix. How about the Atlanta Braves in the nineties? Then they went like fifteen straight division titles or something ridiculous like 14. that. Fourteen, fourteen straight division titles. Yeah, that's a quick note for me. But continue. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there you go. And uh, they got one World Series title, right? Only one in that whole, whole run. Now, every time I see Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz, I joke with them. If you had Mariano Rivera, you'd be the one with the four or five rings, and you know it would have been completely reversed. And it, it, if you look at the Braves' history, it does kind of come down to their closer, Mark Wohlers. 1992, it was, uh, can you name the closer for the 92 Braves who lost to the Blue Jays? Jeff Reardon was their closer <laughs> who gave up a big home run to Ed Sprague in that World Series that kind of changed the dynamic of the whole series. And, of course, we all know about Jim Leyritz and Mark Wohler. So are the Braves a dynasty with one World Series championship and all those division titles? So I guess there's different degrees of dynasties. If you want to hang your hat on World Series titles, then I think it's got to be more than two. If you if that if that's your criteria, then once you get to the third World Series title, then you you can say, all right, three out of five, three out of six years, whatever it is, you know, and, and that you were in the playoffs every single year, yeah, then then, then I give it to you, you know, and then obviously everybody's going to always talk about Houston and 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 the sort of the sign stealing scandal of 2017. So there's always going to be for a lot of people, a little bit of an asterisk there. So the Houston's a hard one to peg as far as dynasties goes, but yeah, it is a great discussion, Shaq. I mean, I know you had it on social media last night and people have their own people light up over, over their opinions on the definition of a dynasty, but I can tell you, you know, winning, winning three in a row and four out of five with the Yankees. Okay. There you go. You want to start right there. Okay. We'll start right there, you know, because that's based on championships. But if you look at the Braves who won 14 straight division titles every year, boy, that that's an extended run of uh, of dominance even though they didn't get you know uh, the world series titles that they thought they were going to get they only got one i think you need multiple titles although there might be an extenuating circumstance for 14 straight division crowns and i think the other big thing is a continuity of the people whether it's players or a manager or a coach so the, the Braves had Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, Chipper Jones, Bobby Cox for for all those years. And and so maybe I could I could give them a one time pass into, into dynasty for that. But ba- but basically, we're talking about needing multiple titles, maybe a back to back three out of four, something like that. You know, even I'm not even sure about the San Francisco Giants winning three out of five because it was championship, missed the playoffs entirely championship, missed the playoffs entirely in a championship. So it was it seemed it felt a little more uneven and then. But it's it's multiple rings with a lot of the same core guys. You think of those those '90s Yankees with your team, Coney, the Golden State Warriors with Steph mm-hmm. Curry and Clay Thompson, and, and on and on. That I think that is kind of the bar for a dynasty. And I think as far as the Astros go, two championships, one six seasons apart, and the other and the elephant in the room again is the first rung of these championships is is a tainted asterisk sort of title because of the sign stealing scandal. And there's been this sort of revisionist history or maybe a, a retroactive absolving that people try to do over this the last year and this year 
because the team has had success after the fact. That doesn't change 2017. So I think that's another another uh, fly in the ointment there for the Astros as a dynasty. Now, now look, these guys come back next year and, and win it. We can we could start this oh, yeah. whole thing up again. Stay yeah, tuned. Sure. Stay tuned. Seven straight else the seven straight late championship series. For the Astros, seven straight. Yeah, boy, that's something. And the yeah. record is eight by those Braves. And from, from 91 to 99 without the 94 canceled postseason. So that's something that if the Astros do make it to the final four uh, next year, that's another record that they would tie in the postseason. It's a terrific run. I'm even looking past the cloudiness of 2017. Just, you know, to me, give it to them unquestioned. It's in the record books. But I'm sorry, for me, there is a difference and a big difference between dominance and being dynastic. Two different things. Dynastic is the apex, and it comes down to championships one. And you can raise all your seven straight ALCS banners all you want. And same thing with the Braves. I know it's tough for fans of those teams to hear it, but that's the bottom line. We, we can't just be lowering the bar because we don't see dynasties every single year. So, I mean, I'll even go, even you know, the the Patriots are an interesting case to me. And I'm a, I'm a tough grader. Like you have, you have instances where they captured three Super Bowls in four year spans, but they were both 10 years apart. Like what, are, where are we at with that? You know, like it, Almost it's, like two it's a fascinating ones. debate to have and it's fun. And there are not too many sports debates. that get me going. This dynasty talk is one that gets me leaning in over my chair here. Nice. Where do you put the chiefs? Where, where's my Patrick Mahomes Chiefs right now? They're right. not there yet. They're not there. <laughs> hey, yet. they could they they could win. They could win one this year. That's yeah. right. So, we could talk about it more in February. But yeah, and okay. This right. is the great thing with sports, right? Where it's not just you know we love watching the games, but everyone you know it's it's talking about the games, breaking down teams, the the, the water cooler argument, the sports bar argument, that that kind of thing. This is this is a, a great thing of being a sports fan. Mm-hmm. And there's sure. not really a right or wrong answer, literally. So you know you just stake your claim for sure. I'm with you though, James. Giants, uh, three titles in that five-year span. When you when you sprinkle in a 76-win season, you miss the playoffs twice. Tough for me to call di- dynasty. I'm a hard grader. I'm a hard grader with all this, but uh, it's yeah. Apparently, it's a it's a chord that struck with me. But I do not think that the Astros. You can label them a dynasty. Talk to me next year if they're back and they go to the World Series and they win it. Um, there, there's a lot that we can continue to discuss here. We're going to be back on here. Uh, sizing up what happened in game seven of the NLCS. You have that game coming up tonight and we'll take a look at the world series. So you get a couple of bonus episodes sprinkled in throughout this week here uh, with us from, uh, from toe in the slab guys, what are you focused on for game seven tonight? Phillies diamondbacks really quick. Big home runs. You know, it, it's, it, it's really what it's about. I mean, if you look at the history of postseason, everybody wants to talk about, you know, what type of teams, win in postseason, it always comes down to a big home run. And that's what it's going to be for Philly. Does Harper do it again? Does Schwarber do it again? Can Arizona keep them in the ballpark? Can the Diamondbacks do that? All those power left-handed bats against a a rookie right-handed starter that had a really good first start against them with a good slider, maybe the slider of his life, but also a guy that uh, can give up the long ball, the guy who did get banged around in the postseason or in in the regular season, rather. So, yeah, I mean... You know, for me, it's who's going to be the hero. And the legend of Bryce Harper continues on. I just, I'm fascinated with what he's done in Philly, how big he comes up in the big moments. I, I love it when a guy proclaims, proclaims his love for his franchise. He signed a 13-year deal there. He loves Philly. 
He's coming through in the biggest moments. I'm wondering, you know, how do you not watch every pitch of of every at-bat from Bryce Harper tonight? I'm looking at the bottom of the first inning. Brandon fought against Kyle Schwarber, Trey Turner, Bryce Harper. Plain and simple. They can get a, a quick run or two on the board, get the crowd into the game, and then the Phillies could end up running away with this thing. But, Tony, you mentioned Bryce Harper. Remember when people were thinking of this guy, oh, he's a postseason choker, you know, losing in the first round with the Nationals? You give a great player enough bites at the apple and postseason play, they will show who they are. Bryce Harper, career postseason, 282 average, 390 on base, 627 slug for an OPS over 1,000. He's a guy built for the big moment. We've seen him do it time and again in recent years. Probably going to count on him to do something special tonight. I'm with you to uh, a point, James, here with the with the starting pitchers in the first inning. I want to see how both come out in the first. You have two relatively, I don't want to call it inexperienced, but hey, this is winner take all. Two pitchers that are uh, pretty young, both under the age of 30. What are they going to look like right out of the gate if Brandon fought? can neutralize that Philly lineup in the first inning, have them come away with a zero in the box score, the line score, that's going to say something I think that could uh, prove to uh, lead to him potentially settling in in a hostile atmosphere there, the way we saw him pitch uh, earlier in in this series. So the first inning for me, which team strikes first? That's what I'm going to be looking at. I'm going to say the team that scores first is going to win it here tonight over in Philadelphia. All right, guys, we'll be back. After Game 7 of the NLCS, we'll look toward a World Series matchup. You know, the Rangers are in it. Who is going to join them? We have to find out tonight uh, on Turner, right? On TBS over in Philadelphia. Phillies and D-backs coming up. For David, for James, for our great producer, Dan Work, I'm Justin Shackle. We will talk to you soon here on Toe in the Slab Pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media. Enjoy Game 7, people.